Hello, you mindful mamas, and welcome back to another episode of the Enlightened Podcast, where I share real motherhood stories and empower the soul of the mother through mindfulness and spirituality. I'm your host, Lena Lemos. Today, I am talking with holistic health and wellness coach, Alexis Schumann, and we are talking about a very important pillar of mindfulness, and that's food. And I'm a firm believer that if you're showing up, you're doing the mindfulness work, but then you're putting shit in your body, you're kind of hindering the process because what we eat and how our body's breaking it down has a huge effect on our well-being and not just our health in general, but our mind. And I think Alexa does a very good job of explaining the importance of empowering our mindfulness through food, healing our bodies with food, and how we can slowly begin to implement it into our life. Because believe me, as a mom who can barely find time to eat during the day, I completely understand that talking about it is much easier than actually implementing it into your life. But Again, if we're living mindfully in every aspect of our life, what we eat, what we put in our bodies is a very huge part of that. So here's Alexa. We know where to start. <laughs> when did you first realize the, the healing properties of food? So I had kind of at the same time that I had watched the Forks Over Knives documentary, um, I started down this path of writing a paper and finding these dietary and lifestyle factors that were related to some of the children's um, like neurobehavioral disorders that we were starting to see increase, uh, like ADHD and pediatric bipolar disorder. So at that point, those two things just clicked for me. And after that, my husband started to experience these weird manifestations of pain. So similar to fibromyalgia in his head and in his legs. And we just started going down the path of alternative therapies because going to a traditional doctor wasn't healing it. Uh, so we immediately started with going to a whole foods plant-based diet. And we saw tremendous things happening. So what, what was that transition like going plant-based and then realizing how amazing you felt? Well, I mean, it was a process. Um, so if, if I look at my own history, I can say that, I mean, I grew up like most kids in like the eighties and nineties eating a lot of fast food. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that I had deficiencies from it. Um, it's hard not to. And then you, you look at somebody like my husband who was actually developing these manifestations of pain and you knew that there was something deeper there. So we were looking to try to find what the root cause really was because we didn't want to mask it. You know, I think the traditional route would be to try to mask it with anti-anxiety medication or, <laughs> um, or like a muscle relaxer, but it, it wasn't doing it. And in, in the field that my husband was in, he couldn't, he wasn't going to take those things during the day. So I think, you know, we did a few of these kind of whole food plant-based cleanses and a week into now we're talking about six years worth of pain and working through this and acupuncture and you name it, we did it. And at one point we just did like a whole food plant-based, like real 
cleanse. And in seven days, the pain stopped. Wow. And it was so enlightening for us. I mean, it, it was hard. And at that time I was not pregnant yet. And so it shifted my whole mindset about what that was going to look like because we had, we knew that we wanted a baby and I knew that I wanted to get pregnant. And I think at that point, it just really, it, it transformed my mentality on what food has the power to do. Yeah. So how much do you think of our food and what we're putting in our bodies is affecting all of these, even the common health problems that we have, like headaches, fatigue, et cetera? So I think about 50% of our food is man-made. Uh, we've kind of gotten away from that question, what would what would my grandmother think or what would my grand, great-grandmother think of as food, right? We, we have this disconnect with our food. We go to the grocery store, we pick it up, but we're not really looking for what's nourishing us. And when you start to look at disease, you're looking at chronic inflammation or issues with your gut health. Um, lots stem from, um, nutrient deficiency or even environmental toxins. So I think that we are just really disconnected from what real food is. And if we are, you know, the foundation of good health comes from your diet, Mm -hmm. it matters what you do in addition to that, of course, but if you're not absorbing everything that makes your system work properly, then you're not going to be in good health. Yeah. I, that makes me think when I was in college, I was an anthropology minor and I did, I grew up in upstate New York. So we worked a lot with the Haudenosaunee tribe and they, on their reservation, grow all of their food. And my professor always told us, do you think that if there was an apocalypse or some issue and you couldn't go to the grocery store, would you know how to find your own food? Could you eat? Would you starve yourself to death? And that always made me think, and I've always been so conscious since thinking. And like you said, what would your great grandmother call food? You know, just thinking about being, well, being able to incorporate more foods that come from the earth into our diet so that we know, I mean, so that, I mean, that's how our bodies have been biologically dependent on them for how, I mean, since the beginning of time. Exactly. So we don't necessarily know. I mean, even when you're looking at vitamins or supplements, you don't know if your body's actually metabolizing that body is very smart and it will intuitively tell you what it needs. Um, But when you're putting something synthetic into your body, you don't really know if you're getting it. It's like comparing, you know, a vitamin C supplement to an orange, you know, which one is going to be more beneficial for you. Mm-hmm. And this is what I really look at when, I, when I'm working with women and when I'm working with children, because with children, it's so important. Um, the first two years of their life, it's vital for health, um, healthy growth and development to have very nutrient-dense food um, and make sure that it's balanced. So was this plant-based journey of yours, is this how you came to help others? It was. I found that through those six years, it was a struggle. Um, I felt like you would go into the doctors, the the physicians weren't able to really talk to you about nutrition and health. It was like, oh, you want to go whole foods plant-based? Okay, well, go ahead and do that. But nobody was actually helping you. And I think that that's where I really found my passion in all of this, because I remember being in the grocery store and looking at the shelves and knowing what all the chemicals were and what all the, you know, quote unquote, like bad stuff was, mm-hmm. but almost feeling like obsessive over it as I was looking to it, but not under, you know, not knowing what to purchase. 
And so one of my, one of my most requested services is my grocery store tour. And I feel like first thing in my programs, because I just feel like it's so imperative that from the get go, you and I are on the same page as to what real food looks like. So yes, the plant-based, I mean, the plant-based journey was entirely different from anything that I grew up with and it was a learning experience. And I thought, you know, what better way to really contribute to the world than to help people along this journey and to support you and guide you and, and just to be there for you because sometimes all you need is somebody to tell you, like, I understand what you're going through and let me hold your hand on this one. Yeah, I totally get that. So I have celiac and I went through a similar thing where, and this was what year is it? Um, seven plus years ago where there was nothing and trying to totally reconfigure my whole shopping experience and having to read every single label of what was in what and learning everything. And I think that also helped because I, I was vegetarian at the time. And so I've kind of progressively gotten more and more towards plant-based, but it was so overwhelming. And the question I always get asked most is how do you know what you can and can't eat? Right. And for, and for that, everybody is different. Yep. So it depends on where you are on your health journey and you know what your ancestry looks like. Yeah. To process, you know, how, what is your gut health like? Because I think all of that matters. Um, that's why I do a lot with teaching about mindful eating, because I think that that's what's so important. Because something that works for your spouse or your sister or that celebrity that you see on TV that you follow may not be what, what is right for you. So you have to be mindful of your own experience and really listen to your body. It's, it's about what you're consuming and how it works for you. Yeah. I think that's one thing I've loved the most about watching mindfulness and food and intentional living coming together is that understanding that everyone is different and your truth might not be someone else's truth. And it helps you kind of block out all the noise of all these fad diets Exactly. And I mean, that's why there is a multi-billion dollar industry of fad diets because they don't work for everybody. So everybody just jumps from one thing to the next. But when we learn to heal within ourselves, I think that's where the true empowerment lies. Yeah. And I think the thing that as a consumer that I see most frustrating is that every single week, it seems like there's a new superfood. And if you're not eating that superfood, then your health is poor and there's these new supplements. And if you're not taking them, then you're, you're missing out on all these amazing health benefits. So how do we know what is right for our bodies, the superfoods we should be ingesting and just where to even start healing our bodies? That's a really good question. (laughs) I think that that is a matter of trial and error. I mean, like I said, for everybody, it's going to be different and it could be different for you today than it is 10 years from now. So you really need to try it. I always go with the approach of trying one new thing each week. So you can see how it's sitting with your body. Is it serving you? Is it not serving you? Um, Do we need to try it in a different combination? You know, especially when you're getting into people who eat like the same 10 foods all the time. Or even when you're talking about children, children can be really picky and it's hard to please them and they like the way specific foods look. So I think it's, you want to come from a place where 
you're easing into it. And we don't have to try all the new superfoods at the same time. And we don't have to put them all into a smoothie at the same time either, because that's what, a, you know, that's what our culture likes to do is we want more and more and more and more. But for me, I like to get back to the basics and get back to a solid foundation first. And for a lot of people, like you mentioned, having celiac, that goes back to eating very simple, basic foods um, so that they don't disrupt your digestive health too much. Yeah. So what are the absolute staples that I think that fuel us (laughs) or that can fuel us that we should be incorporating more into our diets? So from a plant-based perspective, obviously you want a sundry of fruits and vegetables. Uh, I think we've culturally gotten to the point too, where we want to abolish fruits. (laughs) I know. are tremendous for you and they're full of antioxidants and fiber in their whole form, of course, right? Um, And they make you feel full as long as you're not whipping them all into smoothies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So definitely, you know, I always look at it from you want half of your plate really to be vegetables. And for some people, they, they don't do well with raw vegetables. So then you want to cook them so that they're easier for your body to assimilate and metabolize. Um, Whole grains are another one. Uh, We like, we like to choose very refined grains. Um, And when we're choosing those, they're spiking your blood sugar and and they're just not really good for your body. (laughs) So whole grains are another big one. So we're looking at like quinoa and farro you know, rices can be one too, if, if you can tolerate them. So again, that comes back to, are you soaking them? Are you sprouting them? You know, are, are they working with your body currently? Yeah. And then obviously you need, for me, I always go for plant-based protein. Um, And I, and I think even if you are somebody that follows a paleo or a keto diet or, you know, one where you are consuming animal products, you still want to try to find a way to bring in more plant-based protein. It it just, the the more variety you have, the better. Yeah. I, uh, I appreciate what you said about fruit because I, I don't understand where we went wrong with fruit and why we're so scared of it. And even my mom, so I was like, oh, I had too much fruit today. It's too much sugar. I'm like, but it's natural sugar that comes from the earth. And I think there's just so many misconceptions about natural food and when we're eating them in their whole form. And I think that's also as a consumer so frustrating because you hear so many things like, oh, don't eat too many avocados because they're so fattening or this is skinny guacamole because it doesn't have, you know, and it's just frustrating, I think is the best way to put it. It's a play on words. Yeah. I like that. That's a good way to put it. (laughs) But I mean, so when you're helping people and I guess maybe let's start with children first, do you see that nutrition has a huge effect on behavior? Yes. So when I look at children, I like to look at the whole story um, because it's not as simple as just looking at what they're currently eating now or what's on their plate. I think we really have to go back to what was it like at the very beginning? So what was it like when you conceived? So when we're going back to the mother, and this is where everything comes full circle for me because I like to look at, okay, where 
what point were you at there? What was your health like when you conceived? And how did you nourish your pregnancy? And how did you support that postpartum period? And you know, did you have a natural delivery? And was the child breastfed? Because I think that also, you know, that goes back to the nature versus nurture, like what your genetics are, but also how you're nurturing from an environmental standpoint. So I always like to look at that because I don't think it's as simple as just saying, you know, this food, right, is, is causing some sort of behavioral issue. So I like to look at it from the point, yes, food does, I mean, you can feed children sugar or artificial food coloring, and you can automatically see that something happens, you know, some form of hyperactivity will ensue after you give them. Maybe it's the excitement of eating the food in the first place. Maybe it's the high sugar. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it's both. But I think there's something to be said for that. Um, You know, if you look at the statistics, about one in three school-aged children are suffering from a mental health issue. (laughs) And 46% of our children, roughly, have a chronic disease. Wow. Whether that be allergies, asthma, ADHD, or now we're getting into the point where we're talking about autism a lot more too. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, that has a tremendous impact on your family and on the child overall too. It's going, you're going to bring them up in a different way also. So I think, yes, a lot of it stems from food, but, but I think we need to go back to the very beginning. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And how do we even, I mean, for me, my daughter's still eating just formula because I wasn't able to breastfeed. So I've always been worried that she's missing out on all that good magical breast milk stuff. So for someone like me, or even just a mom who's starting to incorporate those whole foods into a child in that very fundamental period, where do we start? And how do we know that we're giving them the best nutritional foods possible? So you really want to start incorporating whole foods, blended, right? Pureed into baby food, because then you know what you're getting. Um, When you make it yourself, just like when when you cook your food at home yourself, you're taking that power and that control back into your own hands. When you allow somebody to make it in a factory and have it delivered to you, you're not getting the same thing. That same life force and those same nutrients are not there. So I think it comes from being an informed and empowered consumer to begin with for yourself and for your own health so that you know what decisions you are making. But then again, bringing them and utilizing them with your children. So, you know, there's all different sorts of things that you can mix together to make them yummy and delicious. And you, I mean, you can try them too. That's the fun of being a mom, right? Is so that you can try it too. Um, you know, some, when you go to some pediatricians, they'll talk about starting colors in a specific manner. So with that, I mean, you just mix them in a way that you curb picky eating. So you want, you know, they often say that the first year isn't just for fun when they're trying food, but you do, you want to give them different textures and different flavors. And, you know, maybe you cook it, maybe you don't. So, you know, I do a lot with baby led feeding. So in a way that not everything is always pureed. Mm. Interesting. 
my mom was actually just, she tells the story every time at the dinner table. And especially now that I have my own daughter about how, when I was a baby, she turned me orange from feeding me too many orange foods. (laughs) I started my son with greens. (laughs) I thought we should start with the bitter flavor first. (laughs) Ooh, that's smart. I knew that if we, you know, started with something like sweet potato, this is just me, you know, this is what I did. And obviously I've worked with a lot more clients since then and worked with a lot more babies, but with him, my first thing went to, well, bitter is the hardest to tolerate, right? That's the one that we all don't necessarily love. So let's start there. That's smart. I might try that (laughs) because I think, especially as we become adults, if we weren't, if we didn't have a lot of greens as kids, I know this from a lot of my peers that it just greens are bleh. <laughs> right. So you can mix them into smoothies. We love to add them into like smoothie bowls. I mean, even my son's two now. And even now I'll, I, I make smoothie bowls and you throw the kale into the smoothie bowl. And then, you know, yes, it's wonderful when they'll just eat the salad, but sometimes they're not going to eat the salad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you just have to put it in there, but then we just know we make it, we make it known that we put it in there because if you sneak it in there, then you're not really doing the mindful eating part. Right. Because you don't want to trick them to eat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about that mindful eating. Cause I think a huge part of being plant-based and healing your body with food is being conscious of what it's doing to your body. And it also vice versa, the, what it's doing to your mind. So did you notice a huge mindset transition when you started going plant-based? I did because it meant that I started cooking all of my food. So it, it became the whole experience of it. It wasn't just you go out to eat, you grab something or you're eating something in your car. It was, you're going to be at home and you're going to cook three meals a day because you want to be mindful of the oils that you're adding. And when you're going out to eat, you're sort of outsourcing your health um, to mm. the needs of those at the restaurant or whoever's in charge of the food purchasing or whoever's in charge of the cooking, you know, so for me, yes, I think that there was a big shift in terms of mindfulness when I started making all of my own food. You also become aware of how much time it takes to do that, mm-hmm. that you really have to prioritize it. You know, if you, if you want to impact your health in that way, and I think it's a great place to start, you also you have to consider the time that it takes and you have to make it a priority. Yeah. And I always tell my husband and he, he giggles when I tell him this, but whenever I'm eating completely plant-based, I'm, I always tell him, I feel so empowered when I'm eating plant-based because it's just, you're in control of your own body. You're in control of your own food and you're making a positive contribution, not just to you, but the lives of animals and sustainability. And it's just this whole vibrational synergistic way of living that just kind of makes you feel like a badass in a way. <laughs> Right. And it also, I mean, after you spend all that time and you invest it in what you're doing, you don't want to get in the car and eat it quickly. Mm -hmm. That comes into play when you're looking at mindful eating too, because it's not just about what you're eating. Obviously that's important, but it's, it's about sitting down and really, you know, taking a second to appreciate what's in front of you and think about all the efforts and sacrifice that went into that also you re, you know you really have to be grateful of how it got there yeah 
Well, when we say that just when we're talking about that disconnect of just picking something up from the grocery store shelf, we don't realize you know, how much time it took for that little seed to sprout and the water coming in and the sun and the farmer. You know, I do a lot with um, supporting your local farmer because it's it's something that I'm very passionate about because then you have a better connection to who's growing your food. And again, this is another source of empowerment is knowing where it comes from. Mm-hmm. I think that's extremely important, especially with produce, because there's so it's beginning to become corrupt as well. And it's so scary as a consumer. So I completely agree. And I try my best to always support local produce. Right. When you're looking at that too, I mean, there's so many chemicals being used in the food industry today. It's not even what's made in the lab, but it's also, as you were speaking of what's what's sprayed on it as it's growing and then mm-hmm. you know how really how is that impacting our health too you know can we make a connection there between the chemicals you know when you show 20 chemicals showing up on a strawberry you know when they're working together what is that doing to us too you know even when you're looking at food allergies you know is it is it the actual peanut that is the problem or is it everything that went on the peanut that your body is reacting to mm, i didn't even think of that that's fascinating so how do we is it just choosing organic or is it knowing more of where it came from how do we do our best to really avoid all those intense chemicals that are used especially being plant based when most of your diet is things that come from the earth well i like to reference the ewg dirty dozen have you looked at that before i don't think so Uh, There's something from the environmental working group called the Dirty Dozen, and it's their list that comes out yearly, and it shows the top 12 foods um, that are dirty with the pesticides, right? The ones that show the most pesticide use on them. So like strawberries are always at the top, and I live in Florida, so you look at strawberry season, and yes, you go for organic. So I think if your budget doesn't necessarily allow you to buy everything organic, then you want to go back to, okay, well, I'm going to look at the dirty dozen and those are the things that I'm going to purchase organic. And then from there, there's the clean 15. And those are the ones like avocados that things, you know, with thicker skin that it's okay to purchase conventional. Mm -hmm. Good to know. Yeah. I've always heard of that, that things that have a thicker skin that we may peel and not necessarily eat the skin that it's sometimes okay to not have them be organic. Right. And I like to talk to you about, you know, anytime I'm working with someone uh, and we do go on that shopping tour, I really like to talk about where your food is coming from too, because you look at our regulations here and what we deem acceptable and maybe in other places, their standards aren't quite so high. So yes, something is coming organic here, but you know, they can still be organic, but sprayed with organic pesticides. And I think that's something always to note too. So when you're able to go to your farmer's market or you're able to go to a farm directly, you can have a conversation with the farmer about what they're using. Mm. Yeah. So when you're working with clients and they have similar issues to like your husband had these manifestations of pain, how much of that is healed with food? It depends on how 
deep you're willing to go into your journey because everybody's root cause is different. You know, here we are today, we're really talking about the healing power of food. And yes, it is possible to heal with food or at least start the healing process with food. But food isn't the only thing. Food changes your mindset. It's all of those lifestyle factors that come into play too that contribute to your health. When you're working with clients, do you incorporate mindfulness, meditation, visualization? Yes, I do. So I always go from mindful eating to conscious living to natural healing. And those are the three pillars that I work on in my programs. Perfect. Yeah, I think food can do the the biological internal, but then there's the soul internal that also can only be done by the brain. Exactly. You know, and that's getting back to the intuitive aspect of our health also. And this is what mindful eating stems from. But that's also, you know, saying that each one of us is different and we're all connected to nature in a different way. Yeah, it's very true. And then how much our genetics play into it as well. Exactly. But when you're looking at genetics too, are we being triggered by something environmental? So that's when I said working with children and we go back to the beginning. Well, what if we go back to the beginning for ourselves? You know, there's so much we forget and so much we miss. And I think the beauty of really having a full discussion with somebody, and I think the beauty of working through programs like I do, is that all of these things come up. And sometimes I feel like the little connector where we start connecting all of those health story dots to really get back to, hmm, like maybe that was the thing that triggered this for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we have such a weird connection with eating healthy. And I know before this podcast, we were talking about the medical medium book and I was telling my sister who's been diagnosed with, it's not conclusive yet with lupus-like um, sim- not symptoms, lupus-like diagnosis. And so I was reading the medical medium book about how Epstein-Barr has caused so many issues and looking at his 28-day diet, which he says will help just not only if you have the Epstein-Barr virus in your body, but help clear up so many ailments. And when I mentioned to her that it was 28 days, she's like, oh, I could never do that. But in my mind, I think if you could spend 28 days, not only nourishing your body, that is such a short commitment time to heal your body rather than spending years on top of years going to doctors and trying to figure out this mystery medical issue that you have. Sometimes it's hard to change the mentality around food though, because it's so ingrained to who we are Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of emotion and deep-seated connection that comes from the idea of food itself. So when you feel like you're being restricted, so if you're not ready to make that commitment just yet, or you haven't really wrapped your mind around it, it can seem daunting. I mean, to completely change, I mean, my programs are typically six months long, because I feel like it really takes that amount of time to make sustainable changes. We need to go through obstacles. We need to have setbacks, you know, one step forward, two steps back, right? It takes time to make changes. So yes, his cleanse is going based off of his cleanse is the one that we used uh, with the fibromyalgia type pains. 
playing currently right now. He just started the three, six, nine, the liver cleanse. So we do go back to it because again, it's not a cleanse. And sometimes I don't think that everything needs to be so backed by science. Sometimes we need to do what feels right for us. You know, we don't need that. I mean, yes, it's wonderful that they do, but like, we don't need science to tell us that fruits and vegetables are good for us. Yeah, it's very true. <laughs> and just going back to what you said about feeling restricted, I think we just think, oh, it would be way too hard to do that. But isn't it also hard living with pain? Yeah, I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't agree more with that one. But again, you know, you take what our lifestyle is now like, and I think that's where it becomes difficult. Yeah. Because it's, it's wrapping our mind around fitting it into modern life as we've created it. Yeah, that's very true. And like you said, that it's just daunting to know where to start at the grocery store. And it's a commitment to cook all your meals and to have that ownership over what you're putting in your body. Mm -hmm. It's a lot, but I, I truly believe in the power of it and I'm trying to spread the message. And I'm glad that you are helping so many people do the same because no one in my family listens to me, so <laughs> I can't say that everybody listens. <laughs> I mean, they're start they're starting to get it, but I, I it's also one of those things that I don't think you truly understand until you do it. And like you and your husband, seven days later, it's the pain's gone. It is, but I think it's something too. You know, it's not a quick fix, so. Yes, you can do the 28-day reset, but then again, from there, you really need to create some changes in your life and you need to keep up with it. And even, you know, we are inundated every day with chemicals and environmental toxins and things that go back so far that we don't even understand um, how they're directly affecting our relationship to ourselves, our relationship to the food, our relationship to the soil. There's so much that goes into it that we don't even understand. And again, you can't just fix it in a day or you can't fix it in 28 days. Uh, Can you reset? Definitely. Can you hopefully get the toxins out and feel better? Yes. But I think it's about changing the mindset to your lifestyle as a whole. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Food has to become an integral part of your family dynamic again. And it has to be looked at instead of being looked at as you know, the, the phrase you either eat to live or you live to eat, right? So instead of living to eat, we need to eat to live in a way that we're nourishing ourselves, especially for children and for women. Women, every week of our cycle is different. And we go through big hormone fluctuations for you postpartum, during pregnancy, during menopause. So women go through where men stay pretty much the same for the majority of their lives, unless they're going on, you know, they have some big chronic health issue going on. Women change weekly. So we have to nourish ourselves differently every week if we're really going to get back to that intuitive state. Wow. I didn't even think of that either. That's a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. Every month we want to make babies. (laughs) (laughs) Our, our, our hormones are doing things behind the scenes that we don't even know about. Yeah. Don't I know it right now? <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, that's a, that's an important thing to get into too, because postpartum, 
you know, there's specific ways that you can support your body and support, um, you know, getting to the point where you can breastfeed, hopefully. And if you're not able to do that, still um, supporting the healing process and that transformation into motherhood that you're embarking on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it all goes back to just the the intuition with food and mindfulness and knowing what's good that we're putting in our body and knowing that it's nourishing it. I, I thought of, I think I was, I don't remember where I came up with this, but I asked my husband, I've been trying to live my life this way that if you thought consciously every time you put something in your mouth and what it was doing to your body, would it change the way you eat? And I try to think of that, but of course, you know, new motherhood, it's hard. (laughs) Absolutely. And then you're going to, you know, as a mom, you're going to think about it for everybody in your family. So especially when your daughter, correct, your daughter. Mm -hmm. So when she, you know, really starts eating, you're going to think about that. And I do, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I I really do. I think about how it's impacting her. I even kind of think about the weather sometimes, you know, like it's really hot outside. I'm not going to give them something hot, right? So we'll do something like a smoothie bowl. Yeah. Cool down whatever's going on internally there. Yeah. I think even just that simple asking yourself that, and then going with what you said about just being so grateful and understanding the whole entire journey of where this food came from before we put it in our mouths and just that almost circle of life and being grateful for it and having gratitude, I think could change a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we also have to prioritize it. You know, you you have to prioritize the food. Yeah, I know. And as mothers, it's overwhelming too. And it's a lot and it's a lot of conscious effort that we may not always have time for. Exactly. And it's really hard when you have multiple children and they're picky eaters and everybody wants something different to kind of rope that all in to make it work. Yeah. And it's definitely something that you need support in. You know, it's hard to do it alone and you want somebody who's on your team. Yeah. It definitely helps when you have a support system. I think that's what, when I made the transition, I first to being vegetarian. And then when I had to go gluten-free, just having my family there and my parents went gluten-free just to have the same food in the house, which having that community to support you makes all the difference in the world. So I write about that a lot, that it takes a community to support your health right? To support your transitions because you can't do it alone. And so I've always been very fortunate that my husband has gone along with whatever I suggest, whatever we're going to try out. Because again, even for us, it's often trial and error. You bring a new baby home, it's trial and error. You're, for me, I was nursing and my son was very colicky. So it was about figuring out, was it something that I was doing that was making him colicky? Was it my feeding schedule? And it's going back to all of that. Yeah. It's definitely fluid, always changing. It's always changing. <laughs> Not to make it seem more overwhelming or anything. No, but I think if we take out the diet part and we take out the restriction part and we're not no longer, you know, in our culture, we like to break things down. So currently we look at it as, fat, you know, your fats, your carbs and your protein. 
but there's so much more that goes into food than that. Or we like the calorie in calorie out approach, but when it comes down to it, it's about quality. So what is the quality of the food that you're eating? Because you can, you know, go vegan and you can be unhealthy because you're eating vegan junk food, essentially. So you can be just as unhealthy as somebody on the standard American diet. So it's really looking at what is the quality of your food and what you're eating. And then is your body able to break it down and process it? Because if you can't break it down and process it, then it's probably causing inflammation all goes back to mindfulness and just being in tune. (laughs) The health of your child really comes down to a million little moments and what you're choosing. So it's not about being perfect all the time. It's about progress, not perfection. And so we really try to live by a 90-10 rule. Yeah. 90% effort, 10. 10 if it's not if it's not a hundred percent, right? Yeah, 10 not (laughs) so sure, but we try still. Exactly. And that's the learning curve that you need to give yourself when you're implementing new diet changes and when you're looking at incorporating more whole foods. I like that rule. I'm going to, going to go for that. (laughs) Alexa, thank you so much for talking to me about all things food. And I like to end this podcast with words of wisdom to help anyone out there who might need some extra healing today. So what are your words to end on? That good nutrition is the foundation of healthy growth and development in children. Thank you for listening to the Enlightened Podcast, a movement that empowers mindful motherhood and celebrates every journey. If you would like to be part of our community of amazing and soulful women, find us on Instagram at Enlightenedhood. For real motherhood stories and inspirational articles, you can check us out online at enlightenedhood.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, you mindful mamas.